Hello and welcome to the Did You Know Crypto podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Namecoin, the first altcoin, its failure, and why that has a lesson for the entire Bitcoin space. First, I'd really appreciate it if you'd go over to iTunes and leave a five-star and written review. It helps immensely with the podcast getting its name out there. If you want to help any other way, go over to supportmypodcast.com. Gives all the other ways that you can help out from shopping through our Amazon link. It costs you nothing, but just gives a little kickback. So please bookmark that Amazon link. Shop through there. Also, you can send us Bitcoin through monthly donations. It's very much like Patreon through Bitbacker. So just head on over there. Look at all the different ways you can help out. Most of them cost you absolutely nothing. But most of all, thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Did You Know Crypto podcast. Today, I am joined by nobody but myself, and I'm actually going to be doing the first standalone episode that I've, it's been a while. It's probably, I mean, shoot, it's probably been nine months or so since I did one. I've been meaning to do more of these, but I just haven't had time uh, to do it really to kind of write out the outlines of what I want to talk about and and do the research on them. But uh, Namecoin was one or I was originally starting it off as just kind of do a history of the altcoin, like the early history, and then the first one of Namecoin being it. But I, I actually, when I was doing the research on it, I decided to kind of shift it. And I want to talk about Namecoin, but also its implications for this space. Its implications for crypto in general and Bitcoin too, even though it was you know a failed coin. So... This was actually, like I said, the first altcoin, and it's probably something most of you have never heard of. Um, this is not because it's some sort of you know hipster coin or anything like that, but it's by today's standards or really uh, any day's standards, it's pretty much a dead comatose coin. Uh, it only has about $11.7 million US dollars in market cap. And it's worth about 79 cents. And, and when I was doing the research, this was late July. So, or I'm sorry, late January of 2019. So it's it's probably roughly about the same when you hear this coming up and, and next week on the 11th of February. But, uh, you know, it was released in April of 2011. And this is really barely two years into Bitcoin's life. And it was a fork of Bitcoin, meaning that with forks, it it had an indistinguishable history up with Bitcoin up until the point um, that they actually forked. But after the split, it has its own unique, um, you know, ledger of transactions, right? So after that fork, there's transactions on Bitcoin and transactions on that fork, uh, and they don't match up. Prior to that, they had the same one. This is the same for Bitcoin Cash. Uh, and Bitcoin that happened in August of 2017. Uh, be- prior to that, they had the same exact transactions. After that, they have different transactions. Um, like Bitcoin, it also use, uh, uses SHA-256 and proof of work and produces blocks every 10 minutes. But its purpose diverts completely from Bitcoin and basically the concept of a currency 
its aim was to create a decentralized alternative to the uh, domain name system or DM DNS as we call it, um, which is basically kind of like the phone book of the internet. And this is currently uh, administered the the DN uh, the domain name system is administered by the. Um, let me look at my notes here. Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers, or ICANN. I'll just refer to it as ICANN from here on out, um, which is a centralized service, right? If you've ever bought a domain or created a website, um, if you haven't, I should say, this is kind of kind of seem alien terminology. I, I didn't know the the full name. I just always knew it as ICANN from buying and selling websites and and doing DNS um, um, registers and stuff like that, but. Basically, how this works is this is like you want to buy a website, you know, or, or how the DNS web uh, system works is that every system, you know, computer site, everything like that on the Internet, it has a unique identifier uh, that allows it to connect or be connected to the IP address. I can create basically what they do is they create the policy that regulates these unique identifiers. So basically all the .nets, .orgs, .coms, .biz, all these sorts of things are all regulated by ICAM. Uh, originally, it was a U.S. company or was run by the, by the U.S. government. Then they basically created a corporation that's no longer under U.S. control. And it was kind of a um, – it was kind of a, a touchy subject for a while because people felt like the U.S. should – keep control of it but that's more of a political thing we don't really need to go into that but uh say you want to create a domain uh did you know crypto.com which you should go to uh well you hop on over to say someone like hostgator godaddy squarespace wherever and i use hostgator and this is a, a hosting service that i use and you can go to their domain search and you can search for a domain and you see if it's available and if it is you can purchase it through that uh, domain register service uh, like HostGator or GoDaddy. Um, and basically you're buying the rights to own that specific name. It's kind of like, it's not quite renting property because you technically own that as long as your registration, um, it's kind of like running a business per se, like you own that business as long as you keep the paperwork up to date. And everything then you're then you're good to go um then you can keep on you know using it and everything like that but that does not mean though that as we've seen with some of the censorship stuff going on that just because you own it doesn't mean that you're automatically your website's going to stay up you know if a do hosting domain service wants to dump you then then that can cause problems but anyways that that's kind of the reason for namecoin right um and once you buy that property per se uh, or the rights to that property for a specific time it's registered with ICANN and and you're all good to go so uh, the domain name service dns is what allows for something like did you know crypto.com or google.com or facebook whatever it's something that's easily understood by uh, understood by you or i because it's in our native language right and there's different ones with different languages of course too but it's something easily understood by you and i and but it allows it to be translated into the computer friendly IP address. So the you know the, the long string of numbers that are, you know separated by dots is actually 
the address to your website, but the DNS service allows it to be translated into, you know, it allows it to be easily read by both computers and us. So it's not a one or the other. Um, what Namecoin was basically trying to do was circumvent ICANN by creating its own dot bit, B-I-T, DNS service. So in theory, the idea was is, let's say a totalitarian dictator gain control of ICANN um, and or they can, you know, let's say they can control their country and they were able to put immense pressure or pay off people in ICANN and they could censor people in that countries or people around the world's ability to reach sites that were run and owned by dissidents or opponents of theirs. So let's say you typed in uh, freedomfromthedictator.com, right? And ICANN had censored it. No one could view it. So what Namecoin was trying to do was basically stop that from ever happening. So if you actually had that same address, say freedomfromthedictator.bit, B-I-T, no one could stop you from connecting to it. I mean, this is in theory. So today, or I shouldn't say it's in theory. I mean, there's a little bit more nuance to that, but basically in theory, that's what they were trying to accomplish. Freedom from you know censorship is is something that is becoming extremely important today, and will continue. You know, it's going to be a continuing theme in the culture as this pendulum swings both sides. And and now both sides really recognize that censorship is a more viable tactic, or I should say, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Uh, I don't want to get deep into a political diatribe, but you know, we kind of saw the a more conservative viewpoint being the ones that were leading the charge on censorship um, decades ago. In the 90s, though, we kind of had this 90s into late 90s, 2000s. There was this real as as the kind of religious rights ability to influence politics wanes waned as society got a lot more quote unquote, progressive on, on social topics for the most part. There was this kind of like a, a, a period there where censorship kind of was on the run. And, and now we've seen the culture switch, where now we swung so far, in my view, to the progressive side now that there are people who are seeing that they kind of now have the microphone and the soapbox and the power they are starting to see the need to censor. It's not the same that it's not to say that conservatives aren't censoring as well, but you're seeing a lot more of the conservative voices being censored. Um, you're seeing liberal or progressive voices too, but you're kind of basically seeing anybody on the really far left and anyone on the center right to far right being censored. And you can argue whether or not they should be, but personally to me, I don't think that censorship is ever good. I think it only drives people underground and makes things a lot more dangerous than they ever would be if people with bad ideas were allowed to speak their bad ideas in public, be publicly challenged, versus being able to adopt a martyr mentality and attract people who have also been disenfranchised with society and identify with them as being fellow martyrs. I mean, that's why we always see these kind of fringe extremist organizations pop up. You can't censor people technically by trying to like pass a law 
in the United States at least. But you can use social pressure on social media platforms, which is basically where people's existence lies nowadays. And if you can deplatform somebody, get them off Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, they really don't exist to society. Right. And I understand there's a lot of people who go like, we well, you know I live off grid and, and all that. And I, tr- I identify with that as, as being um, a very quality way of living, but this doesn't affect them. This is, we're talking about the 85% of society that this does affect. So the, the initial aims of, of, of Namecoin were great, but their ability to deliver and understand the requirements for adoption was basically how Namecoin died. Uh, initially it received you know, a lot of excitement. It was the first altcoin. You can, you, you, we all remember the ICOs of 2017, how excited everybody was for all these, you know, new projects and it's going to do this and they're going to do that. And so you can imagine that there was a lot of excitement um, in, in some sector, you know, a lot of sectors of the Bitcoin aficionado, crypto aficionados, actually it was just Bitcoin at the time um, going like, oh, okay, well, yeah, okay. We've now decentralized money. Why don't we decentralize this? So, Many people thought this would be the next wave of the web, you know, following Bitcoin's, you know, footsteps of decentralized money. You know, we could take the first steps into a decentralized Internet. You know, we had hundreds of thousands of domains have been registered um, on Namecoin for .bit addresses. But now, uh, what's it like four some odd years later? You know, barely a handful have ever actually been developed. I think it's like 30 to 40 or something like that. And most of these domains are just being squatted on, uh, hoping that the .bit domain, you know, would become popular. And this virtual real estate that they're holding on to would increase. So it's the same way. It works for .coms. It works for .orgs. It works for .nets. Um, excuse me. Sorry. It works for all these uh, regular ones that run through ICANN is that, you know, I've done it before. I've like, I've found a domain and go like, oh, I think this is actually going to be something that people are going to want. I sit on it for a couple of years and, you know, sometimes people come by and they go, hey, you know, it's something I paid, you know, 20 some odd bucks in registration fees for a couple of years. You know, they buy for a couple hundred or one I actually sold for a couple thousand, which was pretty cool. Um, interestingly, it was, it, was, it was actually didyouknowshow.com. I don't know why this guy wanted it that bad, but I hadn't actually done anything with it. I thought about developing a podcast on it, and that's actually where I came up with the name Did You Know Crypto because, well, I'm not going to go into that uh, background of, of, of that because it doesn't have anything to do with this podcast. But anyways, I was going to do a podcast on kind of like Did You Know Topics, and then I sold it, and then when I was going to do my Bitcoin one, kind of um, re, re-engaged with that with that idea. So anyway, so people sit on these and and hoping that they're going to sell. So, I mean, there's people that were probably sitting on, you know, Bitcoin.bit and Litecoin.bit or whatever and, you know, Google.bit. So, you know, this is quite common. The the squatting and and kind of rushing in is quite common for any kind of emerging tech sector. You know, much of the first waves of interest in any new technology are, are always usually speculators. Um, you have the actual diehards who believe in it. And then once those people kind of elevate this, and I talked about this with uh, Emily Coleman on my last episode, episode 23, where we talked about the stories that bind us. And 
about the different waves, right? The, what's going to be the next wave of adoption? Is that the first wave, and definitely with Bitcoin, it was developers, it was people. And then in the next wave was kind of political, non-developer folks. And so w with, with these emerging tech sectors, usually have some diehards, usually in a lot of ways with Bitcoin, because it was decentralized, it was kind of community that built up around. And sometimes you have that with startups as well, but startups are usually the people who are dedicated to this idea. And then once they build up enough of the tech to gain interest, then the speculators come in, you know, and, 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 and whether that's VCs, whether that's, you know, whoever's willing to give them a few bucks, uh, whether that's people that have access to the technology, if, that, if it's available to start um, building themselves on this, the, these first waves are usually people who are speculators, who are going like, I'm, in, I'm willing to invest my time and or money because I think there's going to be a payoff. Now, a lot of times that payoff is money. Sometimes that payoff, I think this more aptly fits Bitcoin, that payoff is a political end that we're trying to achieve. And these speculators, uh, if this is your, you know, when it's your first time speculating, you usually in for a, a, rude awakening, which a lot of us have been in cycles in Bitcoin, depending on when you got in, is that more often than not, you actually miss than you actually swing and get a hit. So to, to go back though a little bit, squatting was a, you know, I was saying there's a lot of these dot .bit domain, dot .bit domain names being squatted on, but that was not the issue with this endeavor. Well, if it actually started to become more popular, it could have slowed down progress, right? Because you had all these people squatting on it and nobody able to build on it unless they wanted to pay. But those who came first do deserve the profit because they took the risk being a first mover. I mean, everyone talks about first mover advantage. First mover advantage is great if the thing works out. If it doesn't, you're now the one holding the bag of losing money. So... And, and right here with Namecoin and the .bit domains, we can kind of see the pitfalls of being that first mover, of being that speculator, of being that person that takes that risk, is that you take that risk, and if you lose, now you're the one holding a .bit domain that you probably bought, that you, that you paid for in Namecoin coin, that you probably bought by trading Bitcoin for Namecoin, which you probably, even though that name coin thing probably cost you maybe 20, 30 bucks over the years in name coin, you probably lost out on thousands of dollars, if not more in Bitcoin that that value was. So this is kind of a lesson in why capitalism is so important and why the hatred towards you know, people in in that that are speculators, well, they can wreak havoc. Uh, people who have money, who are willing to risk capital, um, whether they're venture capitalists, whether they're you know just wealthy people, is that because they have that money, they are able to risk it because they're able to risk a million dollars ten times, losing nine million, but in one of those ten times one of those $1 million investments turns into 50. And it doesn't always either. You could just lose 10 million. So people like me and people like most of you listening, 
don't have that kind of money laying around to be able to invest. But people who do are able to, and they are able to, and they do reap the profits, but they also take all the risks. We don't, we just get to use the product. So going back to a little bit, what I was saying was that the squatting and all that was not the problem. The actual problem, and, and this is a very common one in the Bitcoin crypto world, is what I would call, and, and I know some people will absolutely hate this, it, it's developer centrism. And I don't I shouldn't have to say this, but you know, some people are just listening the first time, some people don't know me, some people are not gonna go back and listen to all my other episodes. So I am not anti-developer. I don't know how to speak the language that they speak. That is the language of the internet, and that is the language of Bitcoin. And I really am, and I'm not just saying this just to try to go, well, you know, I'm going to use a bunch of like positive language and then shit on them. That, that's, apologies, sorry. I don't have to bleep that part out. I'm not going to use a bunch of uh, flowery language and then and then hate on them. So I'm not doing this like preface it. What, what I'm actually trying to say is that I am in awe of what they can do. I'm actually trying to learn to code myself and it's really hard. So I really respect someone who has the kind of abilities that these guys do. But, and I just broke my own rule that, 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 that there's kind of a, a saying that you can ignore what anybody says before they say, but so like saying like, you know, I, uh, I'm not against, you know, I'm not against, you know, American food, but usually you can just disregard everything they said before. But, but what I, I'm really trying to say is there's a reason that so many developer rich and marketing poor companies fail. And also why I guess marketing rich companies fail and to take the opposite side, which we can see if you, if you look at a marketing rich company, uh, that would be like the fire festival which i'm pretty sure everybody's heard of it you haven't just google f y r e nothing else f y r e it'll take you to everything you want to know uh, because this was an idea that was created by somebody who's great at marketing i mean he was definitely a scammer totally uh and, and a thief and and should be in jail but he had no eye to actually development and in this case, for Fire Festival, it's a music festival. It's actual physical development and deployment of an actual festival and, and the physical stuff that's necessary for that. And it became the most infamous failure scam in musical music festival history. And this is what happens when you have too many marketers and not enough actual operators or developers. Hey, folks, I hope that you're enjoying this episode as much as we are. I don't have any sponsors, so if you could go over to supportmypodcast.com, you'll see all the different ways that you can support the podcast from Amazon links to a bunch of other stuff. You could back us on Bitbacker with crypto. But most of all, if you can go to iTunes and leave a five-star and a written review, it'd be very, very helpful. So thanks again, and enjoy the rest of the show. And with Namecoin and a lot of the other crypto products out there, they are way too developer heavy because, you know, this space, Bitcoin, it was born out of the cypherpunk encoder world. And these people, for the most part, think alike and being the early, you know, the early movers are the ones, you mostly the ones in charge of the projects and companies in the space because they either 
you know, they have the know-how, they have the experience. Uh, they also have the capital in the space because they were in earlier and they, they, their Bitcoin's worth a lot more now. So they're able to deploy that. Uh, but the problem with this is that this is a generalized statement. But from what I, you know, from my experience is that developers by their nature and once again, generally speaking, they're not very savvy in terms of understanding consumer demands. Now, they may understand consumer demands maybe within the niche of the space as it is right now, which when we're talking about even just tech savvy American culture. Bitcoin takes up this space. So if you're going, well, this is what consumers need here and thinking that's going to apply to here, I might be wrong. But I it, like I, I think the proof is kind of in the pudding right now where that is not true. Uh, they're not good with understanding gener general consumer demands and the importance of aesthetics and putting UX and UI as being one of the, like, the most important aspect of a project. Um, and a lot of developers are going, no, the tech and the code, if the code doesn't work, the project doesn't work, the project doesn't work, nobody's going to want to use it. Yes, I understand. But the problem is like, if you have no eye towards the aesthetic, no eye towards the UX, then things get really goofy and people don't want to use your product. And there's a kind of a social theory that there's kind of like in every society, whether that society as society at large, whether it's a, a movement um or or a company or whatever that there's always this struggle between uh, between conservatives and liberals and the ultimate goal is the progress of that society now conservatives and liberals will have different ideas of the progress but the idea is to make it better than it was before make it more successful in, in whatever metric that they're measuring it in if the pendulum swings too far to the liberals things can descend into chaos you know, as the, the, the machinations that keep the society functioning get destroyed because they're basically ignored. They're not thought of as important. The, the, the foundations of society that conservatives usually have their eyes on. They become, you know, things become unworkable. If, if things go to the right too far, uh, conservatives become, you know, they, they, they get, they make society so rigid, no progress can be made. Things stagnate and the society, company, whatever we're talking about, atrophies into non-existence. And, and this is, once again, a generalization, right? So there's always the, um, well, I know a guy or I know this company and then they don't do this at all. And they're, they're really good about that. Great. Super. Not talking about them. But I usually kind of see the developers as the conservatives and they're focused on the underpinnings of that society, of this movement. They're obsessing whether over every tiny detail is functioning correctly, while the liberal, the liberal side, uh, I would kind of call that more the marketing side, they understand that to, to, prog to progress, they need to gain more converts to their cause, enlarge the society, enlarge the movement. And they need to, I don't want to say make it more palatable because that almost seems like you're, like you're diluting the message, making it impure, right? And you don't want to do that either, to a point. But what liberals in, in understand is that if you want to progress, you have to make things more easily understood. You have to speak their language. However, if they're, you know, like I said, they're given too much control, they focus on making people feel good, 
about that society uh, or making people in that society feel good and everyone's, you know, happy. Let's not be too rigid, but underneath the, the, their feet, the roads are crumbling, right? The foundations are crumbling and things can get really bad. And to me with Namecoin, like so many projects, I'm not talking about like just a handful, but like the majority, if not almost all projects in this space, they have no eye towards adoption. Their wallets are ugly and difficult to use. Um, now I'm not talking about every project. So some will have some nice ones, but for the most part, they don't. A lot of projects will have one or all of these problems. The, the wallets, which is the main, one of the main ways that people interact with your blockchain is through your wallet. They're ugly, they're difficult to use. Uh, you know, Namecoin had basically no tutorials at all. Like if you were like, oh, I want to download a name, you know, I want to get some Namecoin and I want to start my own .bit address. How do I download, you know, okay, they go and they download the wallet. It's, they can't figure it out. There's, there's no like Google, you know, no, or sorry, there's no going on YouTube and find the tutorial. Uh, it wasn't until much later that just people in the community did that. Uh, the developers were focusing on the project. They, like they were, I'm not saying that they were being lazy and not doing anything like, they didn't understand that this was something important. Like they got it, right? Bitcoin developers would understand it as well. But the average person who's going like, oh, this is cool tech. I want to try this. Could not figure it out. They were trying to basically create every little bit of functionality that they thought could ever be necessary, ever be used. And it really wasn't needed. Like all this kind of functionality and details that they were focusing on. Uh, I, I should say additional functionality past kind of the base necessary stuff. It wasn't needed in this building stage that they were, you know, er, early on in the project and probably most of it or a good chunk of it probably was never going to be necessary to the majority of the users. Right. So developers have often worked solely with other developers. Like they've hung out in those circles for the majority of their lives. Kids who got into coding and programming you know, earlier in their teens, kind of hung out with those kids, and then they went to college, and they, they, uh, if they went to college, then they hung out with computer science people, and they kind of all hung out in those circles, and they often live like most of us do, right? So people in, that are interested in history kind of hang out with other history geeks, and especially with the internet, you go on, you know, history. I was going to say history forum boards tells you how I'm dating myself, but you know, you go on you know different um, circles and and Facebook groups and all that other kind of stuff that's focused on that sort of stuff. Probably dating myself also by calling a Facebook group. But anyways, you get the gist of what I'm saying. We all kind of hang out in our own circles. We get in these bubbles. I really try to like personally go out and I literally will look up why Bitcoin doesn't work or anti-Bitcoin articles and they'll read more about those people to get their perspective. I'll, I'll talk to people that I know, but it's good to get out of that bubble. So but, but going back to developers being in the in a bubble, when developers are creating something, you know, especially in, in a lot of these early tech uh, startups and definitely within the crypto space and Bitcoin space, most of these companies are mostly just all developers as well. And they do a great job of creating projects that other developers would love. But that is, in many cases, the opposite of what the majority of the public would, would love and find to be useful. Uh, it, it Once again, I really am not trying to crap on developers, but if 
I was going to say if this space was dominated by marketers and all that kind of stuff. In 2017, I wouldn't say it's dominated by marketers. It was dominated by snake oil salesmen and and BS artists who came into this space because they saw able to make a quick buck. So th there is validity to that statement as well. But for the most part, all the the very you know stuff that people are really serious about, they're all pretty much developer led. So I'm not trying to crap on developers and say, you know, you guys are, you know, you guys are terrible and you're holding us back. It's not that, but I'm trying to bring some self-awareness to this space so that people can help, you know, kind of understand that adoption is not going to be the, you know, the perfect utopian ideal that developers think that it will be. And so I'm not saying that the, the root of the failure for adoption, you know, so Even in the 2017, you know, marketing scammy stuff, they didn't even have good UX or UI either. Like they were, they were just selling keywords and that was it. They really didn't even have any tech to back it up. So they didn't even get that part of the equation, right? But, you know, I personally feel, and I've, I've talked about this in, in multiple interviews, that the next wave of adoption is going to be led by those who focus on consumers. And this is not necessarily marketers, but those who understand the consumer best. And uh, a hill that I'm willing to die on is this, is that until we make Bitcoin something that is easier for the, the average person out there, easier for them to use than their debit card and we make it that natural path of least resistance we will never see mass adoption consumers are lazy they value ease over you uh they value ease of use over everything else security doesn't matter right so I, and i am a consumer now, could I probably save a little bit more money here and there if I was willing to spend a couple hours, excuse me, going around on the internet, finding the exact cheapest price plus shipping, you know, and all this kind of stuff, than just going on Amazon and doing click, click, click and ordering it? Yeah. But to me, history has taught me that Amazon's a pretty good product. They have a, a pretty cheap prices and I'm willing to take the chance that maybe something's a little bit more expensive for that ease of use and saving of my time. I am a lazy consumer. Amazon has won the game and has won the game for a lot of people, not just me, because they've made it the path of least resistance. And that's why they have seen mass adoption. So generally speaking, most people would rather have something that works for three months at a dollar than something that works for 10 years at $3, right? Um, because they will trade security, freedom, and money for time and ease. So what, what I mean to say is they would generally, they would take something that, that only works for three months for a dollar, but is really quick and easy to, to, to set up, than something that I say, well, it's kind of, it's a little bit more hard, you know, it's a little bit more difficult, but it's, uh, it's the cost of, you know, it's 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 only three bucks for ten years, not a dollar three months. You're going to spend more than that in one year, 
but it's a little bit more difficult. You have to do this. You have to do this. Most people go like, I'm, that's fine. I don't care. I'm going to spend more money. I don't want to have to deal with this, right? They are going to trade all those things for ease of use. The reason that we are seeing um, incandescent light bulb, let's take that. So those of you on the live stream can probably see this. This is a LED bulb. So this LED bulb is shining on me right now. Prior to that, it was actually, uh, would have been an incandescent bulb um, probably about 10 years ago. And incandescent was just a little filament and it heated up when electricity was passed through it and it made light. So when the climate change thing started to kind of come into the uh, public sphere, there was a bunch of knee-jerk reactions to like, well, we got to do this and we got to do that to make things, you know, one of the things like, well, why don't we make, how do we make things more energy efficient? Light bulbs, light bulbs, right? Everyone had always complained about making the longer lasting light bulb, right? So what they decided to do in Congress was pass a law. Incandescents are going to be phased out. Incandescents are going to be phased out um, over a period of time and you won't be able to use them anymore. What are you going to get to use? CFLs, those little compact fluorescents, little squiggly ones everyone hated, that if you break them, they spread mercury powder everywhere, which is great for um, landfills and all that. So thank you. So we had to deal with these light bulbs that nobody liked, that were ugly, that put more pollution into the ground. And what happened? LEDs kind of came on the market but they were really expensive. But now, shoot, I can go pick up a six pack of LEDs for a dollar a piece or less. And now everything in my house, and most of the people I know all just go buy LEDs now, but not not necessarily like I don't, I, I pretty much have all LEDs in my house because as things burnt out, I just replaced them with it because it's the path, the least resistance. We're doing the right thing without even thinking about it. That's when you get adoption. Whoever in Bitcoin captures that consumer motive the best is going to win big, 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 big. So it's just kind of an advice out there. Look who is really focusing on capturing the motives or understanding the motives of consumers and capturing that in their product. So, you know, Namecoin is still around. Uh, you can visit it at namecoin.org, and there's actually still activity on GitHub. That's a that's a site that projects use to um, have people submit code, and then it gets committed to the actual code base and becomes a part of that active project. Uh, the latest commit on Namecoin was merged for February of for February of 2019, which was. Three days ago, as of this recording, I'm recording this on 7th, February, 2019. So it's not dead. There's still people contributing, but um, you can usually tell when a project is dead or dying or almost dead when there's just, there's no commits. There haven't been any commits in, you know, six months or a year or whatever, or it's just a few of them. And name point seems to be kind of of the latter. There's not a lot of commits, but you know, I thought it was important to talk about Namecoin because it's a cautionary tale that we haven't learned from. Um, at least I think that we haven't learned from it yet. That and that many others following 
um, in this space haven't learned quite yet. So, you know, this also one one side of it. So I'm talking about marketing and and focusing on consumer driven stuff, but it also the other hand too is kind of this idea of of blockchain, right? And this leads into a little bit of self reflect reflection on my part in particular, and, and you know, using in that you know, this self reflection is is related to using the word blockchain. It's kind of this panacea for the word social and technological problems, right? We could use blockchain for this, blockchain for that, blockchain for this, blockchain for that, right? And, and you go back 18 months and blockchain was going to be used for everything, right? We we're going to stop ivory trade with blockchain. We we're going to stop piracy with blockchain. We we're going to stop human sex trafficking with blockchain. We were going to eliminate inefficiencies in the logistics. And, and there are there applications, sure, but it kind of got overblown and 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 part of myself got caught up in this because i didn't really do my homework that well i i came into bitcoin in 2013 but shamefully i really i, I realized that until the last like two years i really have not done extremely deep dives in understanding this tech and really when it comes down to it blockchain is an extremely inefficient ledger right? It's a really bad Excel spreadsheet. Uh, or I should say bad. It's an inefficient, right? It's a highly energy intensive Excel spreadsheet. But the reason that it's so important for something like Bitcoin, for something like, <clears throat> excuse me, for, for something like our money is that this high intensive energy use to secure the chain to verify transactions means that the more energy that it takes to secure the chain, the more secure the chain is because it takes that much more energy to attack it, that much more energy to make your money less secure. For money, that makes sense. For money, that makes sense to make sure that a Connex box is tracked from Atlanta to Algiers is not that important, right? And to use a blockchain that's centralized and go, well, then if you just centralize it, then you could just have a private blockchain, a permission blockchain. If it's centralized, then you've given up the whole point of a decentralized proof of work blockchain is that if it's decentralized, it's harder to attack. If it's centralized, you've now centralized the weak points in that system. So it defeats the whole purpose. I'm not saying that there's not things to be used within a permission blockchain. I haven't completely written off permission blockchains quite yet, but I'm kind of more leaning towards that more than not. And probably the next year, as I do more reading, I'll probably end up leaning that way. But as of right now, since I haven't read enough to become fully invested in that viewpoint, I'm not willing to make that determination. So to me, a lot of these blockchain applications are not useful at all. That for right now, um, and I, I don't think necessarily that a decentralized DNS service couldn't be useful to stop censorship. Maybe, maybe we could determine that it's worthwhile in society. Maybe not. But I don't think that 
that it approaches the value that we find with money. Money is the ultimate freedom of speech. The ability for you to transact with whoever you want, whenever you want, without being told you can't, or I should say you can be told that you can't, but without being disallowed to. That as long as both people control their own private keys, nobody can stop you. Unless they physically like lock you up, right? Or or kill you, right? But but you can do that with any system, right? That if you kill somebody, it kind of stops any system other than an idea. So it, it you know this, this kind of idea of blockchain being the the fix for all our problems, I think, is way overblown. And I think that we are seeing that peak of it's going to solve everything, and now a lot of that stuff has died off, and. Um, I think that money is the killer app for blockchain. I'm not saying that there's no no other projects out there that that can't find a use for it, but right now I, I haven't seen anything that's as important as money. So I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope that you enjoyed listening to a few of my thoughts on the subject. Um, Want you if you have any more questions or anything like that, head over to DigiNoCrypto.com. I'll have all the notes all the websites that I mentioned, everything like that. If you uh, would like to help out, go over to supportmypodcast.com. It has all the ways you can support. But the biggest way really is go over to iTunes, leave a five-star review, leave a written review as well. That helps so much in in getting this podcast out there. Please like, share, or like and, and subscribe to us on Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube, Instagram. All of our social media stuff is at didyouknowcrypto.com. You know, I really appreciate you guys, you know, listening, supporting us. Uh, so I guess it's just me for right now. But, you know, supporting me, I really, really, really do appreciate it. 